because your memory is by, um, by its nature going to throw away uh, bad outcomes and remember the good outcomes. And so you can't really rely and trust your memory um, to give you a good indication of how well you've done um, when you've been making your decisions about trading. Have you ever wondered about how we make decisions about our money? Or why we feel the way we do about those decisions? Welcome to Nudging Financial Behavior, the podcast that aims to help you understand how and why you make certain decisions about money. Presented by Dr. Giselle Willows, an expert in behavioral finance. This podcast is all about looking at human behavior and biases, especially when it comes to your finances. You can catch the series on YouTube, the Nudging Financial Behavior blog, or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to like and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Special thanks to our sponsor, IG Market South Africa, a world-leading online trading provider that gives you access to opportunities across thousands of financial markets through their intuitive platforms and apps. Let's get started. Welcome to episode six of Nudging Financial Behavior. I'm Dr. Giselle Willows. Thank you so much for joining us. In this series, it's my goal to help you recognize the biases that can subtly and sometimes not so subtly pull or push your thinking into making decisions about your finances that aren't entirely rational. When you're able to recognize these pushes and pulls, you'll be able to make smarter choices about your money and hopefully end up saving and earning more. In this episode, we're diving into the very first of our biases, overconfidence. To help with this discussion, I'll be chatting to academic and cognitive scientist Philip Fernback a little later. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up and please subscribe and share if you haven't done so already. One of the pitfalls we spoke about in episode four was irrational behavior and overconfidence in decision-making. So I thought this would be a good place to start this deeper look into biases. Now, first off, there's nothing wrong with being confident we need to be careful of being overconfident, particularly when that drives inaccurate decision-making. We need to strive to be better when it comes to managing our heuristics. Otherwise, we could make some very bad decisions. When someone is overconfident, they tend to overestimate their own skills and chances of success. This leads to overly positive self-evaluations of their intellect or talent, particularly with difficult tasks. As these self-evaluations are often unrealistic, this results in the overconfidence effect. Put simply, we tend to believe that we're better than what we actually are. Hey there, cutie pants. I need to point out that this exaggeration of our own abilities and overconfidence in decision-making is innate in all of us, unfortunately. There are two parts to the overconfidence bias. Illusion of knowledge bias, when you think you know more than others, an illusion of control bias, when you think you can influence the outcome of a situation. The illusion of knowledge bias, when you think you know more than others, might sound like something that's more prevalent in professionals, and it often can be. For example, finance people think they understand financial markets well, and therefore they believe they're better at picking good investments compared to people who aren't in finance. However, this bias isn't just for professionals. It happens to all of us. As humans, we don't like uncertainty. Therefore, we try to go and collect as much information as possible when faced with uncertainty. This results in us thinking that we have better information and that we know better than others who don't have this information. And then we act on that. Which leads us on to the illusion of control bias. 
This is when we convince ourselves that we're able to influence what happens in a situation, even if the outcome is completely a matter of chance. This is why some investors might choose to buy a large number of shares in the company they work for, because they feel they have more influence and control over how the company performs. The illusion of control infiltrates our lives in many ways. I saw one study that showed that people willing to pay more for a lottery ticket if they got to choose the numbers themselves, rather than if the numbers were chosen at random by a computer. Now, let's take a look at how these two biases play out together in terms of money decisions. You're looking to get a new smartphone and you're deciding between the latest Samsung and iPhone. Both have a lot of great and very similar qualities, but you have to pick one. What do you do? You start to research the phones, of course. You read Google reviews of each phone, watch videos of unboxings, look at comparisons of specs, really weigh up the pros and cons of each phone. The Samsung S23 Ultra and the iPhone 14 Pro Max are the most powerful phones in the world right now. So we've got 12 camera categories, and through them, we're going to see if Samsung's actually done enough to completely turn the ship around. However, I don't think anyone expected the iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max to be so popular. Finally, you decide that the new iPhone is the way to go, and you buy it, feeling confident that your research has shown you that this is the better phone. Here, we have the illusion of knowledge leading you to feel that confidence in your decision. In fact, you're so confident in your decision that you decide you should probably buy shares in Apple as well. Your research has shown you, an illusion of knowledge, that the iPhone is the better smartphone, and therefore, Apple is obviously the better company. You now assume that everyone else must come to the same conclusion, meaning that the share price will go up and you've just made a very smart investment. This is the illusion of control over a situation that you really have no control over. You aren't making the phones or doing the marketing for the company. You're just one person who decided to buy an iPhone and now you feel you have some control over the company. What's important to note here is that it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong about the situation. What we're talking about with overconfidence bias is that there's often a big difference between what we think we know and what we actually know. Now, please remember, I'm not saying that confidence is a bad thing. However, there is a difference between confidence and overconfidence. So I'm out on the streets of Cape Town again, and I thought I'd quickly ask the general public if they could share any personal stories about being overconfident. I tend to be overconfident in terms of um, what I'll achieve, because I know I deserve a lot. Um, and I know what I deserve, and I tend to forget that life often doesn't feel the same way about that. And so like our plan, trips and stuff and plan things I want to do and I'll tell people this is what I'm going to do and then I always end up with egg on my face because it just can't follow through because I don't get the things I think I deserve and I don't get the money and then when I was in the field and um, I thought that um, we, we didn't need to worry too much about the weather and I wasn't as prepared. I was overconfident in the fact that I knew what I was doing in the field no matter what the conditions. So I didn't really factor in the fact that a giant amount of rain on bad, already bad roads would mean that when we got to the site and then it started raining and trying to get back again, um, it was like basically impossible and we had to camp out and wait for, for the rains to, to die down. So it was this overconfidence in being very experienced in doing field work, but not really taking into account that things can come up that I, I didn't factor into. 
Sometimes overconfidence equals miserable vanity. As with the first case with my first plane, Cape Town, coming from the heights and the lead roles of Johannesburg. I came to first rehearsals believing that I was the very best, only to find I did not even know the simple instructions like stage left or stage right and intonation. The director took the time to humble me and then I became confident but grounded. Overconfidence is not necessarily a good thing on stage. I think I was about 12 when I did this. Um, we had gym class, so it was a PT that we used to call it physical torture. And they had one of those, um, you know, those gymnastic horse things that you vault over. And everyone was having a go and I was looking at it going, ah, how hard can it be? And um, turns out rather hard. And I landed flat on my face. And yeah, it was a good time had by all, except me. A confident person makes mistakes, but tries not to repeat them. An overconfident person thinks they're too perfect to make any mistakes. And that is a dangerous form of carelessness. When you're overconfident, you're far less likely to take precautions. It can be a fine line to walk sometimes. You need to be confident in your abilities in order to achieve your goals. Michael Jordan is quoted as saying that you must expect great things of yourselves before you can do them. Muhammad Ali claims that he never thought of losing. The thing with these two sportsmen is that they did the hard work to turn their talents into something worth being confident about. The problem, though, is that as you get better at achieving those goals, you can start to creep into the territory of being overconfident. And I'm sorry to say, men, overconfidence is far more pronounced in your gender than it is in women. Not that women can't be overconfident. Definitely don't want to start a gender war here. When assessing skills, there's another bias to take into account. It's known as the self-attribution bias. This bias refers to how we rationalize the outcomes of our decisions. Say we've done the research, so we know what we're talking about, and we believe we have a degree of control over the situation. How do we rationalize the outcome when it doesn't go our way? Simple. Well, first, if things go well, it was our skills and knowledge that made it happen, obviously. But if things don't go well, then it was just bad luck and had nothing to do with our abilities. Here's an example we can all relate to. When our favorite sports team does well, it's all down to the amazing talents on the field and how great the coach is. When they don't do that well, well, then it's just the conditions on the pitch, the jet lag from traveling, and probably something to do with the terrible referee. Sound familiar? But let's not think about how that impacts your investing and trading decisions. When a trade goes badly, why was that? Was it the market, Elon Musk's Twitter account, or did you maybe make a bad choice? And when a trade goes well, that was obviously you, right? Not that unexpected profit announcement. It's just human nature. The best thing you can learn to do is to take ownership of your mistakes. That's the only way we learn and improve. There's one more bias we need to break down under the umbrella of overconfidence. Fundamental attribution error. Hey, this is psychology. It's never going to be one simple answer. There's always going to be numerous facets to something. 
Human beings are nuanced and layered, and so are our biases. Fundamental attribution error happens because we essentially have double standards. When looking at other people, we're able to attribute their behavior to their disposition, temperament, personality, genetics. But when we're looking at ourselves, particularly when something has gone wrong, we attribute our actions to situational factors. This means that the weather stopped us from going out running, rather than the fact that we were too lazy to go that day. Why do we do this? Quite simply, because it makes us feel better. It boosts our self-esteem, which is good for our mental health. And it doesn't cause any harm in most situations. But if we cannot accept personal responsibility for our failures, and only for our successes, it can cause harm, and to more than just ourselves. An awareness that this bias occurs and that we tend to attribute negative events to the wrong place, while difficult, is important. Consider Richard Fold, the invincible CEO of the investment bank Lehman Brothers, until it went bankrupt in 2008. In a testimony to Congress on the Lehman Brothers' bankruptcy, Fold stated that Lehman's demise was brought on by many destabilizing factors. The collapse of the real estate market, false rumors, rating agency downgrades, and widening spreads on credit default swaps. I clearly made mistakes. I talked about it. Too much commercial real estate, but we addressed that. Less liquid assets, we cut by 50%. We addressed that. Capital, we got to 11% tier one ratio. We could not stem the tide of the uncontrollable, and that's why I talked about it, of the uncontrollable market forces and the false rumors that swirled around the firm. And as I also talked about, once a bank is in siege and loses the confidence in the marketplace, I don't believe that any bank can exist. And we saw that right after Lehman. Market lost a ton of confidence. We saw it right on down the line. Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, had it not been for the, the Fed and Treasury stepping in with a huge capital injection to put a stiff arm right there to say, okay, everybody, stop, we're behind it. That would have continued. Well, I'm not saying that these events didn't play their part. There does seem to be an emphasis on blaming the lack of government intervention for the bank's collapse rather than any fault of the CEO's governance. There are so many ways that overconfidence plays out in our financial decision-making process, and most of the time, we aren't even aware it's happening. For example, we're overconfident that we won't lose our job, so we don't have income protection. We're overconfident with our investing decisions, and therefore we overtrade and incur higher trading costs. In fact, let's have a quick chat with Professor Philip Fernback, Professor of Marketing in the Lead School of Business at the University of Colorado Boulder, and co-director of the Center of Research on Consumer Financial Decision-Making. Phil, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, you're a cognitive scientist. Can you explain to our listeners what exactly that means? Sure. Cognitive science is the interdisciplinary study of the mind. So it encompasses um, many different fields, all with the um, common goal of understanding how the mind and the brain works and how we think. Um, so it includes fields like psychology, neuroscience, computer science, philosophy, linguistics. And uh, the, uh, the mind is the most complicated thing we're aware of in the universe. So it takes, takes a village to study it. Absolutely. You've written and published a lot of work on overconfidence, which is what we're talking about in this episode, and how people think they know more than they do. And as you tend to say, we can't really and shouldn't really trust our memories. 
Can you tell us a bit more about this research that you did? Uh, sure. This is a paper that uh, I published with a um, collaborator by the name of Dan Walters. And um, this uh, paper looks specifically at the idea of memory bias as one of the causes of overconfidence. And we looked at this specifically in the context of investing. And the idea of memory bias is that sometimes our memories um, are flawed and uh, we remember the good stuff but kind of forget the bad stuff. And that's one reason that investors tend to be overconfident is because they um, have a proclivity to remember their winning trades and forget their losing trades. That's what we demonstrated in this paper. Really interesting research. So from that research and your experience as a cognitive scientist, can you give us any recommendations for how we can perhaps recognize overconfidence and how we can overcome it in our investing decisions? Any tips? Um, sure. So specifically with this bias, the best way to avoid this bias is to actually look at the history of your performance and have an awareness of um, what it actually looks like. Because your memory is, by, um, by its nature, going to throw away uh, bad outcomes and remember the good outcomes. And so you can't really rely and trust your memory um, to give you a good indication of how well you've done um, when you've been making your decisions about trading. Um, that's sort of a v very general um, idea. So um, actually go and look at the data as opposed to just um, trusting your memory in terms of how well you've done in the past. Yes, you definitely don't want to be nostalgic when it comes to your investing decisions. That's right. It is a kind of nostalgia. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Phil. I really appreciate your time. It's really interesting to see how overconfidence can be related to our memories and how we have a tendency to only remember the good things. Gotta be careful of those rose-tinted glasses. Now, I know it can be quite difficult to confront truths about ourselves especially when we realize that these biases are traps that are so easy to fall into. Just remember, it's human nature and we're allowed to be confident. We're meant to be confident. So that's it for our deep dive into overconfidence bias. That's another episode of Nudging Financial Behavior Done and Dusted. Please like and subscribe. In the next episode, we'll be looking at confirmation bias. See you there. That was Nudging Financial Behavior. Hosted by behavioral finance expert, Dr. Giselle Willows. Make sure you like and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You can catch the Nudging Financial Behavior podcast on YouTube, our blog, or your favorite podcast streaming platform. Thank you again to our sponsors, IG Market South Africa, for helping to bring the show to life. And now for the disclaimer. This podcast should not be seen as advice. All the information and opinions are of a general nature. They are not intended to address the needs or circumstances of any individual. We are not financial advisors, neither are any of our staff or service providers, nor is our sponsor. All expressions of opinion by the host or guest are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. Any information you get from us should be seen as only that. Information only.